0: Coffee with a Coastie is brought to you by On the Coast Publications, the publishing house for On the Coast families and On the Coast over 55 community magazines on the Central Coast of New South Wales. Welcome to Coffee with a Coastie, as we have the great pleasure of sitting down and chatting with Central Coast local John Wall. At 76, he's faster and fitter than most of us are at any age. I hope you're as inspired as I am when you hear how John returned to athletics later in life and was named the fastest human in the world at 62 for his age. John now wants nothing more than to inspire both young and old through his story, the benefits of exercise and keeping a young mind. I feel very grateful to have been given the opportunity to sit down and chat with John about his amazing journey. Welcome, John.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much, Luke. Nice to be with you.
0: Very much the same. It's very much reciprocated, John. You originally got into athletics when you were younger. At what age was this? And uh, was it really just to make yourself more attractive to a teenage crush at the time?
1: <laughs> uh, interesting question. I started usually as, as one does with school sports. So I realized that I had some talent uh, in order to be able to run fast because I would win everything at school. And then later on, as I grew up and got into senior school, I realized that um, there were some certain avenues that I could use to then make myself more appealing to this particular girl that I happened to like. And she was um, the girlfriend at the time of the school's leading athletics champion. So I, I thought to myself, silly logic, but I thought to myself, if I became the senior athletics champion at the school, then I might have a chance with her. Cut to a few years later, I actually married that girl. So, wow. so uh, yes, and I did become the school athletics champion. Um, and I'm not sure whether that made any difference, but yeah, that's how that happened. That was my early part of go. that. So you
0: don't really know if it made any difference, but it, it definitely helped.
1: Yeah, it, I don't even know whether it helped. It was just the magic of the moment. And, you know, when you're up there getting all these trophies and, yeah. you know, everyone's applauding you, there's a, there's a energy to that. So maybe it, maybe it appealed to
0: her. That sounds cool.
1: From what I understand, your athletics career was going well
0: when you were younger, and then you became unwell with tuberculosis and didn't return to athletics and instead ended up in the film industry. Had you already been involved in the film industry or was that something that you, uh, you did transition into and how did that transition
1: occur? Um, I started in the film industry when I was probably 18 or 19 years old by chance. I was um, in China at the time. I was in a gym working on a trampoline and the gentleman came in and said, hey, do you mind if I have a go on the trampoline? So I'm I look. I'm 19, I'm looking down at this slightly older guy and thinking to myself, you've got to be very careful. Trampolines are very dangerous. So anyway, he got up and did these amazing things. He bounded up and did somersaults and did everything, and I was just gobsmacked. So when he hopped off, I said to him, wow, that is absolutely amazing. I said, my name's John Wall, what's yours? And he said, oh, my name's Lauren James. I'm here to make a movie. So when I was in the army, this is another story, but when I was in the army, uh, I was asked to look after all the weapons uh, for an action movie that was made by a French company. And uh, that's how I got into into the movie business. But I said to this gentleman, wow, look, yes, I speak fluent Chinese. Uh, If that's a help for you, because this was in China. Um, let, me, let me be of some assistance to you. So anyway, that sort of catapulted me catapulted me right into the, the mainstream American movie-making world for 20th Century Fox, and I was working with one of the greatest directors of all time, Robert Wise, who was an Academy Award-winning director, very, very fine gentleman, really, really nice guy. He was sort of a mentor to me, even though I was meant to be uh, his assistant director. And it worked uh, beautifully. Uh, I worked on this assignment for nine months, and it really sort of uh, leapfrogged me into the movie world in Australia. And I came here and got into the business and then was in the business for about 40-odd years. Were you still doing
0: athletics at the time? No, was there a no. There was
1: a crossover point. Um, you, you raised the issue of tuberculosis. That, uh, as you know, is a, is a major thoracic uh, virus that virtually eats your lungs out and <clears throat> back in the day if you, the survival rate for someone with tuberculosis was next to nothing mm-hmm. uh, and you, you had to if you survived it you invariably had to go to a sanitarium hence the name sanitarium for mm-hmm. health foods and everything mm-hmm. which is by the way is a great company they make some great products which I even use to this day but um, it's sort of brought me to a place where I realized that, in order for me to survive and get through this, no one was really gonna help me other than the medical side of things. My headspace, my own thoughts about what I was, either A, gonna go downhill, or B, gonna start to climb back up. And I think when you are in a position where things have happened to you that are not particularly productive or sometimes tragic, takes a lot to be able to focus again and to say to yourself, okay, I can do this, I can overcome, because there's a point at which you realize that no one really is going to help you unless you can help you. So basically that's how I I started in the athletics world, because I I started to get back into training, I started to get back into athletics. And I'd run in, um, before I got tuberculosis, I had, um, I'd been reasonably good in, in track and field, but after athletic, after uh, tuberculosis, I couldn't run for two years mm-hmm. and I had to sleep with my bed on an incline because I got thrombosis in both my legs. So I had to wear, you know, those big corseted like uh, stockings. Uh, mm-hmm. stockings. Yeah, exactly. And with a suspender belt and sleep with my bed on an incline for two years, plus take 42 pills a day, which were like horse pills or like a size of a 10 yeah. cent piece. I had to take 42 of those a day. So it was a pretty very interesting Intense. time to have to get over. But I did get over it, and um, two years later, after that experience, I ran the fastest time in Australia for the 100 metres. So I was sort of like, yes, okay, you can do this. You can overcome these advers- adversities, and that's helped me a lot through life.
0: It was a lot. Mm.
1: We'll jump back to your um,
0: to your film, career just for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I've read you work with some you work with some great people and on some wonderful projects, doing films, documentaries, television series. Um, as you've mentioned to me, um, you are, I believe, globally the manager for the Beyond Group. Mm. Um, what are, what other roles did you do within within the film industry, um,
1: and what did you enjoy most about it before you before you finished? Um, definitely the people that I've worked with. Uh, And that is either they were in Hollywood, because I worked a lot in Hollywood, uh, or whether it was in Australia working with some of the top actors and top directors and top producers. And um, Australia has a, a great deal of talent, and it's used regularly by the Americans and international film community. There's, you know, back in the day, American film company would come to Australia, and because I had a bit of a reputation the management would always say, oh, you got to go and see John Wall because, you know, he's he's switched on to everything here and he knows everything and he's like you, he speaks like an American, you know, <laughs> and uh, so I was sort of concerted or drawn into the American uh, movie making scene, so I worked on a lot of uh, interesting films and television series. Back in the day, names wouldn't mean anything now, but were science and technology programs, um, a program called The Evil Touch and which was sort of like a little horror TV series. Um, Battlestar Galactica, which was another one. McLeod, another one. Well, a lot of programs for, for Universal, but met some great people, and that's the thing I think I would take out of the industry that we, I found that um, it's, it's like you, Luke. You, you resonate with people, and you know, well, like people you. meet like people, and, and that's why I think we get on very well because you're an amazingly uh, gravitous person that uh, helps people absorb their own identity and makes them realize that there is value to what they've done. And I think you've done that for me. But, um, yeah, so working with people, the biggest thing. Some of the greats, some of the great actors, uh, some who are no longer with us. In fact, I actually was responsible for filling a bath for Chip's Rafferty. Now that name will mean very little to you, but he was one of Australia's. What well, made some this. Oh yeah, it was one of Australia's great movie legends, Chips Rafferty. Yeah. He was a great Aussie larrikin. John Mellion, I worked with John. Well, a lot of interesting you, how people. How did
0: you end up filling a bath for him?
1: Well, I was a I was a grip, a grip when I first came to Australia. There were no jobs as an assistant director, so I took it from the level down. So yeah. I was. A group, which meant that I was in set construction and all those things. And my set construction manager said to me, "Look, we need a bath film for, for, uh, for him. Get down and get it filled up. So go and get boiling water, fill it up, put it in, make sure it's not too hot, not too cold, because yes. Chips doesn't like it too hot and doesn't like it too cold." And Chips Rafferty was like almost like his television uh, image. He was, "Yeah, mate, yeah." she be right, mate. Is the water okay for you, Mr. Rafferty? Yeah, mate. So he was a very much a beautiful, uh, natured person. And, and this is what I found with a lot of people in the movie business. They're really, really nice people. And they're great to work with. And I learned so much from them, from all levels, from the lowest actors or inexperienced actors through to the ones that are making millions of dollars I've, I found that uh, a great experience, a great learning, and, and I have a, a lot of respect for them and I honour the experience I've had.
0: Yeah. I think from my experience dealing with different actors or whatever is um, their emotions are exposed, they're exposing themselves emotionally quite often um, within the industry, within what they do as a job, so um, you become quite humble, you can create, become humble and as, as a real person. Um,
1: Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that occasionally you'd meet somebody that was really, you say, up themselves, who thought they were the greatest thing in life, and you were the lower person involved (laughs) in the crew. So you know, you get me this, you get me that. But that that was very rare. Yeah. Um, And most and mostly that was Aussies who have a bit of an attitude. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I need
0: this or that. Yeah. As you said, you've worked with some big names in the film industry. Who, Apart from filling the bath, Mm. who was the most memorable and why that you can tell us about?
1: Um, Probably two people, two individuals I worked with, um, once again on a 20th Century Fox movie called The Sand Pebbles. Mm. And Steve McQueen was the primary star and uh, Candice Bergen was the female lead she's a pretty famous woman as well but when I was working with her she was 18 and it was virtually her second movie that she's ever ever, ever did and uh, and Steve was a, an amazing guy he was sort of a hero of my day I used to watch him in the movies like the great Escape and um, yeah. all sorts of different films so he was he was an amazing guy and once again very humble no no ego to him really that I perceived and I was just an assistant director uh, that You know, normally you'd say, "Okay, he's the AD." You know, we'll treat him this way. But I think once again, this comes back to how you want to be treated. You give what you get back, Mm. and I think that's the same in life. If you want something good to happen, make something good to happen. It comes back to you. You know, attraction. Mm.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Now I don't know how many years it was, but. As is obvious now, you returned to the track, and you mentioned that early on. You did end up returning to the track some years later from tuberculosis, but how many years was it when you last, from when you last ran, uh, to when you decided to return back to the track?
1: Um, I returned to track when I was fifty, and I left it when I was twenty-three. It
0: took twenty-seven so, years. So it's a lot of years, yeah, uh, year
1: uh, where I was working full out and flat out in the movie business with no time to you know, scratch myself, literally. I
0: Was there an exercise routine in that period of time? Did you actually do any sort of exercise in uh, health?
1: Other than getting up and being at work at 6 every morning for months on end and finishing at 10 or 11 o'clock at night for months and months and months and months. Uh, that was a pretty much strong fit. So looking
0: after your health was not part of that regime? Um, other, to, than, other than not,
1: do, not doing drugs and not doing alcohol, uh, not yeah. smoking, I did none of those, uh, which was very unusual back in the day in the movie that industry? Any... It was very much prolific then, but uh, it wasn't something that never interested me. I, it, I, I really get a great thrill of just looking at the sky in the morning and saying, wow, what a beautiful day, because that's our gift. That's what we have. And if we don't recognise it and we don't see it, then we miss a lot of what's happening that's good in our
0: lives. It's a gift to be able to realise that too, because that's not necessarily the default for many people to be able to see that as the gift.
1: I think we need. To, I think we need to be able to listen to the simple things in life and not get caught up in the media hype of what's happening in the world. There's a lot of negativity that that is circulated. In fact, one of the former presidents whose name won't be mentioned, who everyone will know, said that there's a lot of uh, media hype and a lot of false media. And this tends to be, not whether it's false or not is irrelevant, it's whether you switch it on Mm. in the morning if you turn on the news in the morning, the chances are you'll get a bad news story. If I had my way, we would have a segment within every news program that says, and now for the good news, because I think we need to balance that up. We are not balanced in terms of the images that we are seeing through a television screen about wars and what's happening to you know people, you know, killing people and doing all sorts of terrible things. We never get any good side to this story. There isn't a good story to it. So if I was uh, involved in production of, um, of a program today, a news program, I would say let's do a five-minute segment at the end of the show where we look and now for the good news. You know, Mrs. James at Deniliquin, she's just had five children, and boy, look, she runs a farm and she does this, and uh, she's just saved two pets from extinction that were, were, you know, kiwis, and they were running around the ground and nobody ever looked after them, but Mrs. Jones did. So I think we need to look at that good side, and that brings into us as individuals, it gives us some restorative energy rather than a destructive negative energy, which we tend to sit there and go, oh my God, oh my goodness, oh, that is terrible. We need to balance that up with the, isn't that nice? Oh, Luke, how good is it to be able to see that happening in the world? And there is a lot of good happening in the world, but... Good doesn't bring news, sadly.
0: Well, hopefully people can listen to this and hear there is here there is a lot of good happening in the world, (laughs) brought to people like yourself. Um, When you did first start athletics, again uh, you battled. You've you've written, I've read, or you've heard, or written that you battled torn hamstrings, your calf muscles, you battled some injuries. Um, How did you overcome these injuries? These injuries, sorry, uh, when you first started back into athletics and, and what advice um, would you have for someone going through injuries and, and I'm sure now because you're so far into athletics and, and, and training and all that sort of stuff, you have advice for both people starting out potentially and also for people that are already heavily into athletics, potentially going to the Commonwealth Games but are having injuries and how you deal with that. Um, probably best if we can start to help people that uh, initially don't overtrain and don't cause themselves in that sort of side of injuries and then potentially go into um, some sport, any sport. sport any, yeah.
1: Look, I think with any sport, um, whether you're 16 or whether you're 60, I think some of the broad-ranging necessities of, this, of the process in any sport is to make sure your body is conditioned to be able to perform that activity. Now, if you talk about, let's go to from one extreme to the other, if you look at the end of the spectrum where, say, 60, we'd like to play lawn bowls, yeah, for example, and, and lawn bowls is an amazing game, and it's part of the Olympic sport spectrum now. Um, lawn bowls is something that people, if they're an outsider looking in looks at it says, oh yes, we simply stand there, let's roll that ball up there and all will be well. But what, what it is, is there's a technology that's in place with a, with a lawn bowls bowl, which is called a wood. That has a, a bias on it, which is a weight that draws the actual ball as you're sending it down. I'm just trying to be, in, in layman's terms, if you're sending it down that green, a little white ball there. What is it that brings that ball around on one side or the other? It's the bias, the weight that's in the wood that actually draws that ball around to reach that point. But in order to do that, somebody has to take that wood in their hands or that ball and slowly roll it towards that ball with the objective of being as close as possible to that white little ball, which I think is either in, in Australia, or I think it's called a kitty, jack, but, thought, no. but it's called a jack in most other okay. countries. So um, it's about, on that extreme, it's about being able to bend down to be able to pick up that wood. And I know there are devices these days that allow you to pick that ball up without actually bending over. And that sometimes is a necessity as well. But there's a degree of preparation in any sport that makes you able to perform that activity to the best of your ability without injury. And I think that's an important thing. On the in the beginning scale, let's say for you're a seven year old playing footy for the first time and you're you're out there with your dad screaming at the end of the football field, Go, Johnny! Go! Yes! Kill him! You know, So are all these different things that you hear from parents, which is all part of that excitement. Now, Johnny also, believe it or not, even though they're young, they, they're not uh, defenseless. They can actually be injured as well. And so it's how we take that group, and there's some very, very good uh, coaches that work with the children, with younger children, that actually then coach them into how to exercise, how to limber up, how to do their dynamic warm-up as opposed to a static warm-up and so on. So there are a range of people and environments today. You ask the question, how do we overcome these things? How do we work with this to make ourselves able to perform anything we do from walking down to the shops or from playing a sport? It's about working with the people that can help us, the physiotherapists, the healers, the... So on, so that's an important fact. And as you get more advanced in the sporting world, uh, and as I did uh, when I was 50, and I kept getting hammy injuries and so on, we started to then work with strength conditioning people, the experts in strength conditioning. And and that's actually one of my fortés now, is strength conditioning for all sorts of sports, from soccer through to rugby league and yeah. so on. But it's about knowing these people and, and to having a network around you. And now my athletes that I work with, that I coach, they are part of that supportive network and they utilise that network in order to maintain their physical capability.
0: Yeah, you're right, there you go. They're basically from, from self to
1: others. Vitally important. I think you, um, with, with, with athletics in particular, if you're looking at athletics, which is the, my, um, my pet uh, sport, Athletics is one of these strange things. You have these different categories of people. There are the throwers, whether you're, once again, 16 or 60. And once you go, obviously, once you get in past 30, you're considered to be a master. Now, that means that once you reach 30, you are now considered to be actually old, which is quite a scary topic when you think about it. So those 30-odd-year-olds, 40, 50, 60-year-olds, they have to get out and do what they want to do for their sport. So they have to know what can they do to ensure that they are able to, A, throw that javelin, B, put that shot put, run 100 meters or run 1,000 meters or 3,000 meters. It's about training. It's about working with people who know how to get you there. And I think that's, one. Of, I guess, one of the secrets is to... Find the right people mm. to help you. And I think that's the same in, in life. You know, people yeah, yeah. such as yourself, Luke, who works in the media and so on, your, your uh, forte is to connect with these people to enable them to have a voice for what they, they're they trying to achieve or what they're trying to inspire others to achieve.
0: Yeah, uh, most definitely everyone I spoke to is, um, is reaching out to others and, and no one ever does it alone.
1: But sometimes we don't know who to reach out to. Yeah. And here I think lies the danger on the coast. We tend to segregate ourselves from the older generation. And that I think is extremely sad because the older generation have an enormous amount of wisdom, have an enormous amount of experience and love of life to be able to, to help others, but it's very low utilisation, very low, low utilisation. Um, There needs to be a a bigger voice for the retiree community, for the the aging community, the seniors. They need to have a voice to be able to express their personal needs in this world and to be heard because most of them are not heard and they sit quietly in their homes saying to themselves, gee, I'm this age now, I'm pretty much over the hill. Mm. And therein lies the danger because there is when there is no voice for that particular side of the community, we th- that side of the community gets left behind and almost forgotten. And I think that's a very sad thing. So in terms of inspiring that side of the community to uh, realize their potential, to restore in them the actual passion for life, as opposed to the acceptance of age, I think that's vitally important. So let us If there was some way we could bring out the passion again for the lives of people who are sitting perhaps at home, maybe they've lost all their family members now, mm. maybe they're just individuals, whether they're in a, in a home or whether they're just in their own homes, trying to survive and get through every day, what is it that we can do to reignite the passion for life? Because life does not stop at 60 or 70 mm, right. or 80. And I I played table tennis last Thursday with some people who are 80, and my goodness, they could play. And that was exciting. So it's that sort of thing that I think if there was a, a voice to be heard, let's hear the voice of the pensioners. Let's hear the voice of the seniors. Let's hear the voice of those who are downtrodden. Let's hear the voice of those who are searching for something to bring them back to the joy of life. And if we can do that, then we will have a better world.
0: Well, hopefully, it all starts here, John. Hopefully, through sharing your message and others, because that's um, that's exactly what this is going to be about—about about sharing both your message and anybody within the age groups that you're talking about. The planet that we'll be doing younger as well, but hopefully, through doing both younger and the senior, um, they do combine, and there is energy from both that that flourish and do exactly what you said. Um, Definitely. Um, so that's. One of the goals of sitting down and speaking to you and and creating this podcast, to be honest.
1: I think if I can just say this, that the uh, the benefit that can be drawn from the younger community working with the older community, that's something that really, in my opinion, has not been uh, optimized. There's still yeah, the young well. and the old and and i I th- would be really wonderful to see them.
0: Yeah, energizing well, each other and, and formulating. Our platform, we've mm. sort of mm. got ideas around that. So great. Let's see where that goes. Yeah, we oh, do I can. I continue. congratulate
1: you on what you're doing because I think this is a a format and a magazine that really is now starting to unearth the actual passion of life for the older community. Yet Hopefully. still recognizes that the younger ones can actually be in there helping but they don't really know how to help because they've been trained to say, oh, that's oldie. My parents are old now. They're old. Yeah, but we're groovers. We're out grooving. Right? But the oldies are over there. They're snoring. They're, you know, they're falling asleep while they're watching the telly. So I think once we start to maybe engage in both of those age demographics, once we start to engage them and bring about that joint passion, that energy that the youth have, with the experience that the older ones have, and just salt and pepper a little bit of that same energy yeah. back there and some of that knowledge back to the other side, I think we're going to really have something that's very special.
0: Yeah, well, let's see where we go. Let's see how we go. It's very interesting that you've gone down that path with the conversation. Um, so we we're we, we we're going to jump back a little bit, though, back to, to the injuries, um, and, and just a bit on your journey. So you went from... If you, if you read about you, you went from injuries or just you know, overcoming those initial injuries to at the age of 62 in 2009, I believe, becoming the fastest human in the world for your age and correct me if I'm wrong, but running 100 metres in 11.97 seconds, uh, a speed that many people wouldn't do at 30 mm-hmm. or 29 or whatever that is. Um, how, how, what was that journey?
1: Uh, I think it's important to look at the age demographic and what it means to do that. Most people don't really have a concept of what it's like to run 100 meters yeah. because most people just sit on the sidelines and, and just watch what people are doing. But in order to train for that, in order to bring the human body to a place at that age, at 60 or 70, or because now at 76, I'm still ranked as the fastest human being in the world for the 60 meter run, the 100 meter run, and the 200 meter run. Now that um, means that, as an individual, you have to say to yourself, okay, in order to do that, what do I have to bring to the table, and can anybody else do it? Mm -hmm. And my answer is, yes, anybody can do it, but it does involve an enormous amount of hard work, physical Mm -hmm. and mental. You have to be strong mentally, you have to be strong physically, and that then involves every day of the week you are doing something. You are working enormously hard from gym sessions to hydro sessions to recovery sessions to physio sessions to massage sessions to every everything. The whole sphere of human performance comes into play. And to be able to uh, run 11.97 for the 100 metres then, and I also held the fastest 200 metre time at that time as well, 24.97, it's a pretty amazing, pretty amazing time. So mm-hmm. much so that I was, I was um, appointed as the ambassador for the World Masters Games, which was a great honor for me. I was really appreciative of that. So I traveled around Australia doing a lot of public speaking in regard to that. And it allowed me to see um, the excitement being in the presence of somebody who had done it. Um, that excitement really generated other activity within it. It then inspired others to say, wow. I'd like to do that
0: Mm -hmm,
1: now liking to do something and wanting to do something is two different things as we know Mm -hmm. Um, if you like to do something and that's the thought in your thought process it's almost certain that you you probably won't be able to achieve it you have to want to do it in your heart and the passion and the fire that comes from it to drive you towards achieving something that you want to do now why do certain people do this? And why do others just do other things? There's almost no answer for it. Yeah. It's either in your system and you have to get it out, or it's not. Fortunately for me, I, I consider it a privilege that I've been able to do it. Yeah.
0: And was it, have you done prior to you becoming the first minute at 62 for your age, uh, was it, who who was it? Was an Australian that had
1: that title? American, an American Americans. that had that title? And what was their speed? The Americans, the Americans are very and um, have always been um, leaders in the world. Yeah. Um, the fact that at 76 I was the, became the fastest in the world over those three sprint events yeah. was amazing because and it was the only motivation for me. I didn't go out intending to break the, the fastest times in the world. I, yeah. That was not my intention. My intention was to go out and run as fast as I could. Uh-huh for my club, which is Mingara, and that was the objective. So I, w- I was really driven and focused on doing that. The fact that the fast times came was a big surprise to me. I, I, I wasn't expecting it at all. And uh, and to see the Americans who are primary the primary uh, leaders of that group, and there's also Puerto Ricans that are running very well and the Russians are running very well as, as well. Yeah. So to be able to have... If anything, the reason I got excited about it was to see the Australian flag That's at right. the top of that list thank as opposed right. to the Americans. So I, it's been such a long time before an Australian's actually had that flag up there. Yeah. And that brought me a lot of uh, satisfaction.
0: Yes, and thank you as an Australian.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome in uh, january
0: 2022 this year at the age of 75 you've i think you've just mentioned them we'll run to you held three world records um for your age group what were the records uh, and what and who do you contribute your success to at this age apart um, from yourself and obviously your own as you pointed out your massive own, amount of effort
1: uh, and experience yeah um the times that i ran uh, at 76 or 75, which was in January, um, was in the high 13s, the high 20s, and the uh, mid to high 8s for the 60 meters. Now, those times for this age are pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. And to get there, you have to have a lot of different experiences and a lot of valuable input from a few people. Including my physio. My, uh, one of my primary physios is a gentleman by the name of Peter Peachy. And he's a, a neuromuscular expert that works on that aspect of my body. Then there's a, um, a lady, very gracious and uh, clever, gifted woman, um, Vinya Androniakis. She's a Greek woman. Okay. And she works specifically as a um, muscle release, release expert. So she uses acupressure and acupuncture or dry needling, as they call it these days. And that's her forte, and she's absolutely brilliant at it. Um, I also work with a chiropractor, um, Chris Becker from uh, Central Coast Chiropractic here, Jetty Chiropractic, another brilliant uh, person who deals at manipulation of the spine and so on to keep to keep you in shape. So it's about, especially as you're getting older, it gets harder, and yeah. that will be... If those people who are reading this article say, oh, yes, I know what that feels like to mm. bend down and try and do my shoelaces up, yeah. you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's about being clever enough and smart enough. I find myself in that using the adage, it's not um, how hard you train, it's how smart you train. Yeah. So I think that's important with anything in life. As we get older, we need to find ways to be able to achieve things that we thought we couldn't do. But we find, miraculously sometimes, that we actually can do these, but we just have to be a bit smarter to do them. Yeah. Uh,
0: and yeah, as you pointed out, it's a team. And that team doesn't just exist out of thin air. It progressively becomes a team as you get further on your journey.
1: Yeah. One of the coaches that uh, works at Mingar as well, a peer coach, and a very good friend of mine is a, a man by the name of Mike Zisti. And he has a group of very talented and gifted athletes. But he works with me and worked with me before these. Uh, I broke those times to give me that edge, to find something in what he was seeing me do on the running track that made him say, look, I can give you one tenth of a second, yeah. I can give you that one tenth, do you want me to help you do that? And my answer is, of course, yes, I, th- I think that yeah. would be great, Mike, it's you've got nice. you've got a lot of people, yeah. but thank you, I, I'm listening, yeah, I've got yeah. a big ear, I'm, I'm listening to what you say. So, uh, in working with Michael, very fortunately, I was able to uh, improve my technical aspects of my performance, and you know, the results were there. So, I've got a lot to be thankful for, for his skill and ability yeah. and knowledge.
0: So, and I don't know how old he is, but the, the, I think what he I take from that is, is that at any age, you're willing to take on somebody else's advice and, and be able to utilize that and not go, I know what, well, I'm 76 now, I know, I know everything, everything. I don't need, what do you mean, I've been doing this, for. Yeah. Da, 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 da. I don't need to listen to you.
1: I think that's important, yes, um, the tendency is, once you reach my age, I mean, is to say, wait a minute, I know everything, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't need to have your experience, mm-hmm. and I think, unfortunately, that closes off a lot of beautiful knowledge that other people have, so I think we have to learn to listen, I know it sounds very much like a cliche, but if we listen, we're going to learn a lot, as opposed to thinking we know everything, because there's no way everybody can know everything. Mm, So I think it's very beneficial, and I've benefited by listening to other people.
0: Yeah. You've already mentioned um, the current titles you hold. So what are the inspirations? Uh, No, actually, start again. You are an inspiration to others around you. Um, throughout your life, though, who is it that has been an inspiration to you, and in what way have they inspired you?
1: Are you referring to athletics, or are you referring to life in general? You no, know actually, life
0: in general. I think, I think, I think it, I'd like to, if you don't mind, touch on both because I think I think both areas of life. Um, because obviously, there was a period of your life that that didn't involve athletics for twenty-seven years. Um, and you're very, sh- I've got a privilege to speak to you a few times now, and um, you're inspiring. And isn't it? I, I don't believe that uh, you've got to where you are as inspirationally as you are, as inspirational as you are, without having taken bits from other people's lives that have inspired you, and now you've put them in you, and that's how you're now becoming that inspiration.
1: That's a good question. Um, I have to say that my mother and father were the people that inspired me most. Yeah. My children, uh, who are now fully grown men, are the ones that also inspire me to keep going. And I think that sense of in- inspiration is something that you gather from a number of sources. Those are the primary ones I've just mentioned, mm. but there are others. I watch, I watch a young uh, Connor Bond, who's one of the top young juniors coming through the ranks, coached by Mick Zisti, who's just come back from the World Junior Athletics Championships in Colombia. He's an inspiration to watch and to connect with him on his young level. He's a 19-year-old athlete, uh, and I coach some 19-year-olds, to feel their energy and their enthusiasm for improvement. And this is why athletics, in particular the sprint world, is so interesting in that the success or failure can be in hundreds of a second, Mm. hundreds of a second. It's just an absolute fraction. So when these people are around you and you feel their energy, I would spend all day at an athletics track if I had the time <laughs> to do it because there's so much positive energy that, that exists. It's almost like a magnetic field yeah. of, of human energy of the right kind. Yeah. And to watch the young people working through that and coming through that, I think is truly inspirational to me. Keeps
0: you
1: young. Mm, well, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Sometimes keeps me old. <laughs>
0: worn out <laughs> it, it brings to the next bit and, and question um, you said we can keep healthy as an aging demographic by doing simple things uh, can you share some in some detail what those simple things are that you feel we can do
1: yes uh, if we're looking at the aging side of, of the community in general of course we've been we've touched on that briefly it's about Um, saying to myself, do I stay sedentary? In other words, do I just sit on the lounge and watch television if I'm uh, physically capable? Uh, Obviously, if I'm disabled in some form, then we have to make allowances for that in ourselves, and we then have to get the support network required to assist you through that process. But if you are uh, a physically capable person, a physically abled person, and you're sitting at home, you have a choice. You can actually become sedentary and live your life that way. Or you can start to say, what can I do? What can I do that's simple? And that might be as simple as, I've spoken to people at at great length. I say, if you want to do something for exercise and you've never done anything, go for a walk for one hour at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day. Don't go out in the rain. Don't run along the pavements and pound the pavements if you're capable of doing that because that creates extreme loading through the joints, through your knees, your ankles, your hips, mm-hmm. right? There's not one person I think that I know in the aging demographic that hasn't had some problem with the hip, they've either had hip replacements, knee replacements, and so on. So I think uh, it's about taking everything step by step, starting slowly and building upon that, so, but never really going beyond that. Yes, Yes, I do work out at the gym, yes, I train hard, But that's not for everybody. What is for everybody is the ability to just have a very simple exercise program that allows you to then stay and maintain your health. Because maintaining our physical condition, there was somebody who mentioned me once many years ago said, you're very body conscious, John. Mm. To my answer to that was, yes, I am very body conscious because this body, our bodies, have to carry us for this journey, however long that journey is. And if you look at a long queue of people heading up into the sky, at some stage you start right at the back of that queue, but then eventually you're getting close to making that climb into the clouds. And in order to help us negate that for as long as possible and to live a positive, uh, active life with love and with generosity of spirit, then I think we have to start simple. We have to just learn to go for a walk in the afternoon. It might be at the local oval. If you've got a dog, walk your dog. Do something that's simple every single day, a little bit of something. So if you give your, in your 24-hour day, even if you give one hour to something that's very simple that helps you to be mobile and to maintain some form of flexibility, then I strongly suggest that you do it. There are, of course, very, very simple exercises that you can do in your own home or in a community environment, which are very, very valuable uh, parts of the community health experience, uh, where you can do very simple exercises, but it's a matter of doing it every single day. Not doing it once and then two weeks later you do it again, because the body doesn't handle that very well. The body is used to repetition. And once it, once it understands itself and that, that repetition comes in, it then builds on that, and that then builds to a better better physical condition and then a better life as a consequence.
0: So you are an advocate of the... Slowly, slowly, catching well, monkey. or that and, and also um, 20 minutes a day rather than an hour three times a week.
1: Do something every day, yeah. just a little bit of something every day. Yeah. And that's whether you're 30, 40 or 50. Yeah. 60 70 80 um, you've just got to do something you want to maintain your body you've got to, it's like a car you do not get a car and put it in the driveway and hope in six months you can start it up and it'll all go mm-hmm. like like clockwork doesn't happen you have to just start looking after that car mm-hmm. and essentially this is the vehicle that's going to carry us for the next 10 years five years 20 years depending on our age at the moment yeah so I think we have to learn to to maintain ourselves and look after ourselves, be kind to each other, be kind to ourselves, uh, and get through life as best you can because life is not that easy. No, it but we, but with the help of people, of many that, that are many out there who who help and work with the community services, uh, their job is to really make sure that we get everybody to the end of the line as healthy and happily as possible and that is the best way to go through life
0: Mm. we're very grateful that they exist and choose to do their job Yeah, I've heard you say in an interview back to um, this young part uh, that we should stay young in ourselves in our thoughts, in our minds and in everything we do it makes me think of a saying as you think, so shall you become what do you personally think and do to stay young in your mind in your body we've covered exercise yeah so potentially in your mind because you did say i remember you actually in an interview i think if i remember correctly you said something about staying young young thoughts staying young in the mind with young thoughts
1: the process of uh, rejuvenation has been something that's been centuries old centuries old there's an old irish story about a uh, person lived in the in the valleys and he wanted to live forever because he fell in love with this beautiful Irish Colleen <clears throat> and the his this old man said to him if you want to live forever you have to go out to that island over there that's the island of eternity and once you go there there's only one problem you can never come back and touch the earth again where you came from but you'll live forever. So we've been looking and searching for the elixir of life, for want of a better description. So I think we need to look at how we recognize in ourselves the n- the joy of being who we are. And I know that's difficult. I know that sometimes we get depressed and that there's a darkness to, to life that sometimes we can't pull past the clouds and get through. That is a difficult situation. But I think the more we start to recognize in ourselves that there is a joy to life. There is a joy in in looking at our grandchildren if we have them. There's a joy in going down to the community centers to play carpet bowls, for example, or to do simple Tai Chi exercises. All the things, let's search them out. Search people out who are positive-minded. Search people out who've got an energy for life. Search people out who are going to give you a reason to live a happy and joyful life. And I think once you find those people, connect with them Mm -hmm. stay with them and be part of their experience because that draws you into that youthful experience. I like working with younger athletes, but I also work with older athletes who inspire me as well. I work with a couple of the top 60-year-olds, triathletes and uh, and sprinters. And they are amazing. They are amazing people. Um, They go about their daily lives, they work in business, yet they train and they, they inspire me to, mm. to, to keep at the top of my game. And I think it's part of the way we should lead our lives. We should be inspired. We should believe in youth because there's a lot of energy in youth, but they say youth is wasted on the young. Older people say that.
0: You don't get that till you're older.
1: But when you're older and you say youth is wasted on the young, but you've got to say, actually, I can feel a part of that youthful energy. I can allow myself to do that and not be uh, indoctrinated or brainwashed into believing that, wait a minute, you're old, you're a pensioner, you're aged, so you walk over to there, that's your place over there. See that place on the left-hand side? That's where you've got to be because you're old. Oh, okay. So you go and you resign yourself to Mm -hmm. old age. You resign yourself to infirmity. You resign yourself to the inability to do what you did when you were younger. And I think basically that's what I try to do for myself. I try to uh, motivate myself to and connect with the youthful energy that is everywhere. And you just have to search it out and not be afraid to experience it as you've got older. Mm. You know, you can say, mm, yes, well, you know, I'm, I'm old now. You know, I shouldn't really be doing that. I don't I don't really want to go hang gliding anymore. Mm. But you'll, you'll find somewhere in the world, a hundred-year-old person will be doing skydiving. That's right. You know, and you say to yourself, my goodness me, isn't that an amazing feat? And that's an inspiration. So people do have the ability to create a better life and a better environment and a better uh, institutional uh, sense of their value to the community, because as we get older, we have an enormous value to impart to the community on many, many levels. Yeah. So
0: from that, what I take is is gratitude, community, and not resigning to the stereotypical.
1: Don't don't surrender to the number.
0: This, yeah, surrendering, but, and, and even though basically, like yeah. some people may say, "Oh, but that's reality," but. What's the other option? Like it's, it's. Well, what is
1: your reality? Is your reality that you must, uh, if you are in physically reasonably good condition, you is your reality that you're going to stay at home all day, or you're going to? Is your reality? Are you going to create an, another reality, mm. that other reality that you thought you couldn't do, but somebody inspires you to just get up and do it, and that I think is the the exciting the, the exciting thing about getting older once we find somebody to inspire us, that we can connect with, then we are releasing ourselves into the new energy, into yeah. the youthful energy that we had, that we thought we'd lost. Yeah. But in fact, we haven't. And once you connect with that energy with somebody, you then say, wow, whatever you're on, I want some. That's right. Whatever she's having, I'd like some. So uh, I think that's the important thing. Start associating with like people and the energy will flow from that, and the youthfulness of life will then restore into you and make you feel youthful.
0: Sounds good. John, I've been lucky enough to have had the absolute pleasure of chatting to you prior to this interview, and, and one of the, you mentioned a word um, that you've already mentioned earlier on in this interview uh, that you feel is the most powerful word that we can say when we truly like to achieve something in our life, and that word is want. Can you talk a little bit about the word want and if or how you feel that could possibly, a lot of people throw around the word why, your why for doing something as opposed to your want. Um, but, but a bit about both and how you feel want is your word, um, the word you feel that, that is that why, and, and how people can utilise that in, in looking towards achieving their goals.
1: Um, It's a very good question, yes, we have had a chat about this. I think the important thing is that there's two words, the like and the want. What is the difference between those, you might think? Now, liking something is a very passive, happy-go-lucky word. I'd like to do that. Gee, I'm watching that person ride that horse over there. I'd really like to do that. But invariably, the sense of um, ultimate achievement doesn't happen because something gets in the way. When you choose the word want in your self-descriptive process, then you say to yourself, this is an action word. I want to do that. I want to ride that horse. I want to get in that airplane and fly it myself. But you're 60 years old, Frank. You can't do that, dear. You know you're a bit too old for that. No, I'm going to give it a go. I want to fly that airplane. Guarantee you that man will have his private pilot's license within three months Mm. because they want to do it. But if he's, you know, Beryl, I'd I'd like to be a pilot one day. Mm. Never going to happen because that like word is a very passive word. It's a nice word. Don't get me wrong. Liking something is a very nice attribute to have. If Mm. you can like somebody, I like you. I like you. (laughs) Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think that's a very, very uh, emotionally empowering word, liking to do it. But the real strength comes from wanting it. Because when you want it, you change the dynamic of what's actually happening through your brain. And that want then focuses the brain onto achieving that goal. Even though subconsciously you may not be aware of it, once you program the I want concept into your brain, then the brain then takes you to that place, even though you're not even thinking about it. You'll be traveling along and you'll see something and say, you know, that's what I've wanted to do for five years and I've never done it. I want that. You'll go for it and you will achieve it. But you very rarely will achieve something just by liking it. It's a nice thing to do. It's nice to be liked. You know, If we could all be liked, do you like me? Yes. Do I like you? Yes, of course I do. You're a fine, upstanding young man. But do you want to, do you want to be the best journalist in the world? Do you want to make an impact with the, the media experience that you have that will actually gravitate the world to say, let's read this. Let's see this. Let's hear this. This man knows what he's doing. You will do it if you want to do it. And you will be one of the great journalists of all time, but you have to want to do it. Just liking it, gee, I'd like to be, I'd like to be a good journalist. I'd, li- I'd like to do a nice story here and doing that. You can do that, but if you want to do it, there's no mountain you can't climb. I've interviewed some amazing people in the course of my, my career. One of them is Major General Edgar Mitchell, uh, Edgar Mitchell, who was the Apollo 14 moon astronaut who walked on the moon. Mm-hmm. And we talked about uh, the business of wanting and, and liking and the concept of ultimate achievement. And I said to him, when did you actually decide that you wanted to become an astronaut? And he said, well, John, I wanted to be a fighter pilot. I wanted to be a fighter pilot. And guess what? I became a fighter pilot. And then when they were starting to schedule flights and talk about going to the moon, I wanted to fly to the moon. And guess what? He did. It wasn't just liking the concept of it. It was the want the fire in the belly. We talk about it with athletics. Have you got that fire in the belly? Have you got that passion to achieve something? And I think that is all down to that spiralling thing that brings you down to that one word: "I want to achieve it," and then you will.
0: Have you, in the conversations you've had with people around that, want? Have you ever discovered their why, like so? Because there is this whole I don't know if uh, there, there's a whole why. The reason why you're actually wanting to trees it, if, if, and if that's strong enough, that will create your want as well, potentially. Like they potentially work hand in hand. Why so is that, in some yeah? Of these? Yeah, the reason for why they're
1: doing okay, it. Okay, why is a really good word? Because sometimes life, as John Lennon once said, life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. Yeah. So, what is it that we are, you know, thinking about that we say, hmm gee, why did I do that? Why, why do I want to do this? What's the question? What's the underlying fact that takes us to either the liking or the wanting of something? That's a very good question because in life we, we get drawn through many, many experiences. If we live long enough, we have so many different multiplicity of experiences, not only just in our own small uh, microcosm of environment, but on a bigger scale on the world level. And I think that we have to look at how the world affects us or you and how we affect it. Now, the chances are if you're sitting down watching the television and something's happening in, in a foreign country in Ukraine or New Guinea or South Africa or wherever, the chances are we will sit in our lounge rooms and say, but there's nothing I can do about that. Mm-hmm. Right? So, But there's also someone sitting in another room somewhere across the other side of the world who will say, I want to do something about that. I want to do something about that. Yes. And that question then will then create the impetus for the success of that thought. And that person, like Sir Bob Geldof, who I went to school with, Bob wanted to get uh, Band-Aid. He wanted to raise money for the starving people in Africa mm-hmm. now. Sitting in his lounge room, what would Bob say? Gee, there's people starving in Africa. Kids starving in Africa. What do I do about it? I don't know. And you'd sit there and you'd think about it. He said, I want to do something about this. I will not sit here. I will not stand and listen to people rambling on about something and not doing it. I want to achieve it. So the why they get to that point could be something as a message or a symbol or something that they hear, something that they see. There's this incredible, we live in an amazing world Mm. where every experience that we have can either inspire us or deflate us. Um, And how we deal with that and why we have to deal with these things, because they're given to us or thrown into it or we turn on the television or listen on the radio. And we're influenced by media to a greater degree because that's how technology and communication is today. I think we we sit there and we sort of can either be very complacent or we can be proactive. And if we are proactive, uh, we then achieve something because we want to help. We want to do something.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Pleasure. Also, in that same conversation earlier, um, I mentioned that one of the reasons that I wanted to do... um, Podcast was to show myself, my kids, the community, um, what was possible through interviewing people like yourself um, that they weren't currently aware of. Because I'm sort of a big, I'm a bit of a believer in that um, if you're not aware of it, you don't know to be able to achieve it. Um, and especially for young kids growing up, they might not be exposed to something, or even as in later on in life, you're not exposed to it, so you don't know that it's even achievable. Um, but in telling you that. You knocked me flat when you said, you don't want to show people what's possible, including my kids, anyone's kids, anyone within the community. Um, you want to show them what's impossible. And I had to go away and think about that. Um, and it made me think about like records that you've broken. They weren't possible until you, you achieved the impossible by breaking those. And, and people will continue to break records and achieve the impossible. Um, I truly get this. Can you share a little bit about that and, and what you shared with me?
1: Um, yes, definitely. The things that are possible and things that are not possible and, and how do we get through this and how do we achieve it? You capsulize for me. You say to me now, tell me in three words what you think that answer will be. How do, you, how do we do the impossible? And, and do we have to do By the me? impossible? I think we continue
0: as a as as a human race. As just in general, we are continually doing what was once seen impossible, um, like back then going to the moon, or mm-hmm. like you breaking a record, or uh, you know electric cars before there was electric cars. Yeah. Or there's always something that's um, that's being done that's impossible. And I think for anyone to achieve anything, they have to achieve the impossible. I just actually never thought about it. I, it was. It's just you exposing mm. and you saying to me about the moment I said I wanted to show my kids and the community and anybody else what's possible through other people's stories. You went, actually, you want to show them impossible? I was like, huh, he's right. Mm. That's true. That's actually what that's actually for what you achieve is seen as impossible by somebody else. So yeah. it's always the impossible. It's actually never the possible. You're always going to be achieving. If you're achieving anything outside of what you're currently doing, it's what you can't currently see as impossible, potentially. If
1: you if you look at the way the world was prior to COVID, yes. and I, I hesitate to uh, have a brief moment of discussion on that because we are all been exposed to the nature of what what the virus is, but the question is, a hundred years ago when the, the plague was in Great Britain and hundreds of thousands of people died, people used to think to themselves... We're all going to die. It's impossible that we can overcome this. Mm -hmm. But something happens. Somebody somewhere says, I want to make this work. I want to find the solution. I want to find the cure. Madame Curie, who invented the penicillin, how can I resolve this and help people? So the impossibilities of life are something that not everybody thinks about. But I ask you this. If you can sit in your house and think I can't move between here and that water jug over there without a, a walking frame or, a, or assistance of some kind or a, a pet that's going to help me get there. Is it impossible then for you to say, I will do something a little bit different today and I will get over to that water jug without any assistance? But it once again comes down to the wanting to be able to achieve the impossible. So impossibilities are really possibilities that are just on the sidelines that we never think about. And some of us can achieve the impossible. And in sometimes in everybody's life, there's something that we do that everyone in this world does and certainly everyone on the Central Coast does. There's something that they do in their day, maybe subconsciously, that they're unaware of that to others might be impossible. And they're doing it. Mm. So... This is something that I think we need to not uh, restrict ourselves by the limitation of possibility, but that we allow ourselves to open our minds to the impossible. Because in the impossible lies the magic. In the impossible lies the crazy, youthful, fun and joy of doing something that's never been done before, even on the smallest scale even on the smaller scale sitting in your lounge room, you can do something that seemed to be impossible. So my advice is try and find something that you think is impossible and then do it. And then you will be
0: surprised the, the, and you, and the you catalyst really, that comes from that, and it, which I think of something like, and you're gonna correct me if I get this wrong, but the four-minute mile before the four-minute mile was broken nobody broke the four-minute mile the moment the four-minute mile was broken what was seen was impossible everybody everybody was able to break the four-minute mile yes um so sometimes achieving the impossible actually makes it possible. possible for many that's right yeah
1: very good call that's that's very wise uh, roger bannister when he broke the four-minute mile uh, was an amazing athlete and if you look at the images and the videos of him finishing that race on that last lap of the the last lap of the mile, he was really dying at the end of that. He was mm. carrying a big gorilla on his back, and that's an expression used to describe the lactic acidosis that gets into our legs at the end of a race like that, uh, which shows that you know we are we almost can't reach the finish line. But you draw upon something, you draw upon the impossible mm. to be able to get to that finish line. The person that may only be a meter behind you hasn't got that moment, but you did. And Roger Bannister did it, and then after that, of course, John Landy from Australia did it, and many others did it as well. Herb Elliott became one of the greatest runners of all time. Percy Sorotti, one, one of the greatest coaches of, of uh, Australian athletics who lived at Portsea in Melbourne, taught his, uh, his athletes to be stoic and to believe in a stoicism, which was the ability to not recognize the possible but to strive for the impossible. And he created some great Australian athletes. And we've very seldom seen that. Only recently, in the Commonwealth Games, did we watch Ollie Hoar win the 1,500 meters for Australia, which was absolutely amazing. It had a time that had not been done since Herb Elliott did in 1958. So wasn't, wasn't that imp, almost impossible? Mm, right. Yes. And then we look at Peter Ball, the 800 meter runner for Australia, who, Uh, last year broke um, Ralph Bell's 800-meter record that he did at the Olympic Games in Mexico to win the gold medal for Australia. So Peter Ball did it, and that record had been held for 26 years. No one had ever done it. Was it impossible? And will it be impossible that somebody breaks Usain Bolt's world record for the 100 meters? I don't think it's impossible.
0: I think athletics, something like athletics, it's it's a very clear... Impossible, see impossible get broken every time. It's it's, that, then other areas of life can be a bit more cloudy. Well,
1: it's the same if you look at, for example, uh, back in the fifties when the United States Air Force were testing a whole range of different aircraft. Mm. Um, Test pilots of the day would be going up in a jet plane that could travel in those days at eight hundred kilometers an hour. Wow. Unbelievable. The aircraft shook and it looked like it was coming falling apart into bits and pieces uh, at that speed. But then the sound barrier was broken for the first time. Never had anyone thought it was possible. It was impossible to break the sound barrier. But this time they did. And that was one of the great achievements in, in that they never thought they'd have a cure for polio. They found it. So that became the impossible was achievable. So the vitality and the energy of the impossible is such a tonic.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and I think just exposing that and being aware of, consciously aware of those moments that impossible, possible, 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 to be able to yeah. let people know that the impossible is possible. Now we'll jump back now to, to present time, or almost present time, um, as you pointed out, Just before COVID hit, you were the chair on the board of the Australian Indoor Athletics and unbeknownst to me, uh, lobbied the government to build Australia's first international athletics centre right here on the central coast, uh, just out at, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, near Hamlin Terrace there somewhere. can you tell us a little bit about this and uh, can we, do you reckon we're ever going to get an international athletic
1: centre on the, on the Central Coast? Um, the Central Coast is an amazing place to live, let me start by saying that. Uh, it has a number of really brilliant, talented and gifted athletes of all ages, but that's not necessarily the reason why an indoor athletic centre becomes a vital part of the community uh, spectrum. An indoor athletic center is more than just athletics. Uh, depending on its design, it can be a source of community involvement. It can be a source of community exercise. It's not just for elite athletes. It's for everyone in the community to utilize. As we are reaching, for example, we're here in the Weather, the Weather Bureau, the Department of Meteorology. We'll talk to you about El Nino and El Niña. And how that's going to be bringing more of the rain that we've experienced, more of the floods that we've experienced, more of the bad weather. Winters are going to be colder and so on and so forth. You know, they're the yeah. harbingers of doom in a sense. But having coming back to indoor athletic center, if we had one on the central coast, one of two things will happen. One, when those weather conditions uh, activate, we would just go into the indoor athletic centers instead of running in the outdoors. Yeah. All right, so that's, that's a very, uh, on a safety level, on a due diligence level, we have a situation where we would be healthier in that environment, which is a climate-controlled environment. The other thing is, of course, from an international point of view, all over the world, indoor athletic centers exist. In the United States, there's some 300 indoor athletic centers. In Britain, in Europe, all over the world, Asia... There are so many different indoor athletic centers, and it's so much so that it is part of the World Indoor Athletic Series, World Championship Indoor Athletic Series. So there's a tourism aspect too. If we had one of these on the Central Coast, the tourism that would be generated from it, people coming, athletes coming to world competitions here on the Central Coast, would increase the influx of people by 20 or 30, 40,000 people once or twice a year. And also, throughout the year, you've got athletes that will come from all over Australia to compete here on the Central Coast and to train here for Olympic Games, for World Championships. Right now, at the moment, you'll find that athletes who are at the top level of of our sport, uh, the sport of athletics, they need to go overseas in our winter to be in the summer in Europe. Right, so because we don't have a facility here to keep them warm and train them. Uh, so they've got to go overseas. Now, if they do that, they have to be really, really top-notch. The average runner, the average person, the average person running or training or jogging down the street has nowhere to go. They have to stay at home, or they can just... just People just say, yeah, okay, they haven't got anywhere to train. So our objective, the Australian Indoor Athletics uh, Group... Uh, objective is to bring this center to central coast and to incorporate in it everything that the community needs to be safe in a safe environment and to help them achieve their performances and to help the younger athletes achieve greatness on the international field and that's why we wanted to build it but yes uh covid came along prior to covid we tried our hardest to uh, put together a board of, of very talented and gifted people um, but the political spectrum at the time saw no uh, value in bringing the money to the table for this com- great community project. Um, if I was to hunt out there and find somebody who was a philanthropist who said, look, um, I've got a spare, you know, 20 cents. Is that all? Uh, I'll, get, <laughs> I'll give it to you too, uh, to help build the a, build a facility, then definitely we would build it. So I've I've always followed the adage, uh, build it and they will come, When you build it. N- no one has ever seen anything like that in Australia. We yeah. don't have one. So um, there's a there've been a temporary there've been temporary indoor athletic centres built in, in centres, but they, they get torn up and you never see them again. Yeah. So this is a fully fledged, self uh, inclusive, indoor international centre, and you've seen from the images that. It's just absolutely yeah, amazing.
0: Yeah, I, I did would imagine so, that also, like you say, if they're going to go over to overseas Europe, to Europe or whatever during Europe Europe, our winter, mm. um, there'd be some limit to the amount of people that can afford to do that sort of thing too. So we'd be limiting the amount of athletes that could That's potentially right. get to that level purely because they can't afford to get to that
1: level. And that is one of the reasons why Australians' as, Australia's athletic prowess has diminished over the years. And I say diminished, I don't say it's been extinguished, but it's diminished. And um, any of the coaching peers that I've had discussions with, we always talk about, especially when we're freezing cold at the athletics track and thinking. And the sun goes gee, down. Yeah, and you're sitting there and you're freezing freezing your toes off. Um, we've all said, gee, wouldn't it be great to have the indoor athletic centre here? So I'm still hopeful. I I you know, I want to get well, it yeah, made. Yeah, I yeah. want to. So how that process goes into place, and we've talked about the you know, the liking of the idea and the wanting of the idea, um, how that then generates to becoming part of the, the landscape, and we walk out and said this huge building there, and that's the Indoor Athletic Centre for the Central Coast. Yeah. That would be the greatest thing, I think, for this part of the world. Mm-hmm. We live in a really gifted environment here, with the ocean five seconds away from us, uh, yeah. we've got We've got beautiful environment, beautiful country, beautiful everything, um, and talented, gifted people who could use it. And those who want to achieve some of that energy uh, could use it and go and watch these great athletes at work and play. Plus the center would have physios. The center would have a hydro pool. The center would have everything for therapy and the body maintenance yeah. would all exist in the center. doesn't exist today. Mm. So it's almost a no-brainer. Why don't we have it? Yeah, you know, we asked this question, you mm. ask this question earlier the whys and the yeah. warrants and so on. Um, all these questions need to be answered, and uh definitely I would I want to see that center built. Now, how that happens is not necessarily up to me, it's up to others to see that same vision yeah. and want the same thing that have more weight, more power, more voice yeah. to be heard.
0: Yeah. So is it something that you still slowly chipping away look it's not it's all the totally, time yeah
1: yeah all the time talking to people uh keeping it bubbling under the surface yeah, yeah. Don't let it, don't let yeah it not gonna let it the bubbling. fire get extinguished yeah, yeah. Not that, don't let the candle burn down too much no. um I'll and, and the go. more we the more we do that the more we we have these little mi- micro discussions about the value of it i think ultimately um it, I, I know a couple of very, very powerful philanthropists on the mm-hmm. Central Coast. The one in particular, who is actually a friend of mine. Um, I haven't asked him to come forward with some, <laughs> some, uh, you know, financial assistance to yeah. do it. But uh, once again, it's it's about knowing that it's the possibilities are there.
0: What does a project like that cost?
1: It oh, ranges. It ranges. The very simplest form of it is to have a factory shed where you put an indoor center, uh, indoor track around it, and away uh, you go.
0: One option is put a lid on Mingara. Yeah.
1: But, well, no, not even that. Oh, very no, nice. Mingara is a is a beautiful track. It's yeah. a very uh, fast surface, uh, and a great tribute to Mingara that they were able to engineer it and to to put things in place there. Yeah. Um, the object of an indoor centre is not to do a mingara, for example, or any of the tracks in Newcastle or anywhere else in Australia. Yes. It's not to do them out of business. It's about, to become an, it's, it's about becoming an adjunct to it so that it benefits the community. If we are serious, if the powers that be, politically or otherwise, uh, and the ca- at a level at council and so on, if the, their objectives are genuinely to empower and inspire the community at large, then somebody from those organizations need to stand up and say, I want what you want. Mm. I want to give the community something that will stand as a lifelong reflection of the power and the wonder that we experience More here. In. Achieve. Yep.
0: Yeah. Well, fingers crossed. That brings me to my last question, John, which is devastating. we we'll continue to talk later at some point. But what advice do you have for someone who did or didn't do something when they were younger? Obviously you had the benefit of you know, muscle memory or there's some sort mm-hmm. of that sort of stuff going on from, from early on in life. Um But also for people that think they're too they're too old now to start. We touched on that before, like oh you know, I'm sixty, that's for someone that's younger or whatever mm-hmm. that may be. Um what advice do you have for someone that to give it a go again or just to give it a go for the first time? And it doesn't matter if it's athletics, it doesn't matter what it is. But I must admit, it's probably more around making sure that they can achieve a healthy, active lifestyle.
1: Okay, let's just backtrack for a second to something we haven't touched on, and that's the educational system, where uh, there is a concept of, if you do not have a degree, you will not be successful in the business world. You must have a degree. But there are too many instances in the world in which we live, not only in this country, but around the world, of people who have never passed year 9 or year 10 at school and have become some of the greatest business minds in the world. So we tend to categorize somebody's brilliance by the piece of paper that they're able to engineer for themselves in a scholastic environment. It's not always the case. Sometimes you've got to be somebody who wants to roll their sleeves up and get out there and just do it. I want to achieve it. And wants to achieve something. I want to be a top electrician. I want to have my own business. Guess what? They will. Mm -hmm. I want to be the best chippy, the best carpenter. I want to have a business that employs 20 people. I want that. They will. But if they say, yeah, but I didn't go to school, I finished at year 10, I couldn't go any further, I didn't have the brains. You hear people say this, I didn't have the brains. But those same people who want to do it will achieve it because they've got that fire in the belly that says to them, I will make this happen. And I think that's part of the excitement of life itself. You have to want to make it happen Mm -hmm. and not be afraid of it. Go where no man or woman has gone before.
0: In other words find the thing that they want to do and go and achieve it or the thing,
1: that you, it, or the thing or that you thought was all the thing that you thought was aification
0: or any of that sort absolutely of stuff. do not um, be limited get in your way do not be limited, limited. be yeah.
1: unlimited yeah. be unlimited yeah don't let don't yeah. let just yeah. the possibilities affect you be unlimited and go for it go for it don't be afraid it's a big world out there and there's millions of people who want to help you if you just ask. Some people are afraid to ask for help, and that comes tragically in various instances where people tend to be unable to survive in this world with with mental health issues because they've they've said, I can't ask that person. I can't confide in that person that I'm actually feeling the way I'm feeling. I, I can't do something because I'm feeling so inhibited. I feel so inappropriate. I feel so uneducated, I'm not going to be able to do this. Those are the people that need to actually open themselves to say to their friends or their close relatives, that they need to open up to them and say, "I, I was afraid to ask you this question, but I'm actually not really feeling the best. I'm not really feeling good about myself. What can you do to help me? Is there anything you can do to help me? Can you guide me? Can you give me a bit of advice? Can you open a door for me so I can see the way clearer? so that the sky becomes blue again instead of dark. Um, that, I think, is where we need to be. We need to be open. We need to be unafraid to seek out those things that used to terrify us, that used to scare us. And once we can do that, once we can look at, for example, a beautiful bird that's sitting out in this conversation, an eastern rosella in the tree, as we're sitting in this comfortable environment for this interview, when you can see that and take the time to see it, then you will appreciate some of the finer and beautiful things of life. Thank you, John. My pleasure, my pleasure,
0: Luke. Well, it's been amazing, inspiring, everything all wrapped in one speaking to you, John. I truly hope that many out there hearing John inspires you to think younger, create that dream of doing what was once thought impossible I would like to thank John for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. And hopefully we get to see you out on the running track for many more years to come. Thank, thank you, you, Luke, John. I
1: greatly appreciate it. And, uh, you know, as, as I said in the, in the interview, you are, you're an engineer of the, of the rightfulness of this process that we all go through in life. And uh, my respect to you and my appreciation for your abilities and that of Tansy who um, you're engineering something and creating something that I think is such a valuable um, attribute to this community in which we all live. Thank you, John. Thanks. My pleasure.